The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the seventh chapter. The Gospel reading is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 818. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is Corbin that is, an offering to God. Then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or a mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach, and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. There's a popular sign that hangs in household bathrooms around the country that says, Wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. You might even have that sign at your own house. It's very popular on Pinterest. It makes me smile when I see this sign 
Uh, and we value hand washing still as a good and healthy thing to do, right? We'll get to the Jesus part of the sign in a minute. Uh, we know that proper hand washing prevents the spread of germs and disease. But why? Well, you might say science. But we're not all scientists, right? We didn't all discover that on our own individually. We believe in authority who told us why we wash our hands. In the same way that we think that we ought to wash our hands for biological health reasons, the Pharisees are saying that people ought to wash their hands for religious health reasons. Just like when we spread germs through uh, handshaking after we've coughed or whatever and not washed our hands, uh, for the Pharisees and their communities, not washing hands had an effect on the spiritual health of the community. It rippled outward to affect more than just the individual, right? And so, well, we're like, gosh, hand washing seems like a good thing to continue to do. Uh, we need to understand a little bit more about why Jesus and the Pharisees are, are arguing about this. So these traditions of the elders were seen as a way to build a fence, so to speak, around the Jewish faith and way of life, which was really important because they were in the midst of Roman occupation. And so they wanted to make sure that their traditions and their way of life was being preserved, that they were set apart from the larger community. And the concern of the Pharisees and the scribes when they saw Jesus' disciples eating with unwashed hands was about more than proper hygiene. They suspected that Jesus was being careless with the tradition and that Jesus and his disciples not washing their hands was going to undermine respect for God's law as it had been respected through the generations. And this, this is a legitimate concern, right? Often the Pharisees are seen as kind of these really foolish, kind of blustering people like the captain of the circus boat. But, you know, this is kind of a big deal, right? You're, you're ruining our religion, Jesus basically what they're trying to say. But Jesus has some harsh words for them. He quotes from Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. According to Jesus, the problem was that the Pharisees had become so focused on the externals of faithfulness, how you showed others that you were a faithful person, that they had stopped paying attention to their own hearts. Their efforts to live faithfully were putting up walls of alienation instead of drawing them closer to God and their neighbors. The rituals that they observed created a hierarchy between clean and unclean, and instead of expressing the holiness of God, this idea of cleanliness, of ritual purity, became a way to exclude other people from the life of faith and the community. And so then, Jesus continues on to 
talk more about what this means and what this looks like and, and how they've managed to, to twist what was originally a good intention, right? And then Jesus finishes up with more harsh words. Jesus says, we're all contaminated. None of us are clean. We all carry around with us evil intentions. The Common English Bible says that Jesus, excuse me, translated Jesus' words this way. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual sins, thefts, murder, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things come from the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. That's a pretty all-encompassing list, right? You might be able to look at that list and say, well, unrestrained immorality, that's not me. But what about envy or insults or arrogance? It's pretty easy for us to fall into those spaces, isn't it? To think that we know better than somebody else or even inside calling people names when we don't agree, right? Inside our own heads and inside our own hearts. I fall into those kinds of things, envy and insults and arrogance and foolishness, more often than I would like to admit. I like to be the one that follows the rules and does it all correctly so that everybody knows how wonderful I am. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, that's not what it is. It's disappointing and off-putting that we fall into this list, too. That we'll, we're sorted into clean and unclean, holy and profane. The infection for Jesus is real, but not in the way the Pharisees were thinking of it. Jesus says that this clean and unclean is not contagious. The heart problem is genetic, not something we get from somebody else. Jesus assumes that our human hearts are already loaded up with the potential for evil. Even the intention signaled by the things on this list defile a person. Even if that's as far as it goes, even if those names that we're calling other people in our heads never leave our mouths, Jesus says, uh-oh. You're caught in this too. Luther reminds us that we are both at the same time. Saints and sinners. Wheat and chaff, the Bible would call us. Sheep and goats. Simul justus et peccator, which is simultaneously justified and not. Why not clean and unclean, right? We carry both of these things around in ourselves. It sounds pretty grim at this point. You're like, why did I come to church? This is some bad news this morning. <laughs> Until you remember the consequences for Jesus and for us. There's no reason to be afraid of the unholiness of others, of some unsavory dimension of creation of places and situations that may appear God-forsaken. 
Jesus is inviting us to see the world in a new way that has no quarantines, no folding cells, no decontamination chambers. Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, touches lepers, handles dead bodies, preaches to pig farmers, and in the next few stories, we'll even have a deep conversation with a pagan woman. The people of God, according to Jesus, are not set apart by a, tradition, a particular tradition or ethnicity, but by what emanates from their heart, manifested by love for others. And that is what we're called to do as we practice our religion together, as we participate in traditions, right? Traditions aren't bad. They can point other people to God as we participate in them together. The good news is we don't have to become perfect. We, we don't have to eradicate all of those things from our hearts on our own. Christ's death and resurrection have paved the way for us into new life, and we participate in that through our baptisms, right? We have been buried with Christ so that we might rise to new life with Christ. We have been cleansed from sin in the waters of baptism. And we have been invited into particular work to share God's glory and grace and love with the world. So now we ask ourselves, how might I use my faith, my religion, my tradition to reflect God's love for my neighbor with the best of intentions? At baptism, we make a promise. Or someone made it for us and then we claimed it at confirmation to work for justice and peace. And justice demands a love for everyone with no exceptions. We've heard about this before together. And an equal sharing of mercy as well as benefits and burdens of life together. And in theory, this sounds reasonable and desirable and wonderful, but in practice, so many people make themselves or a certain group the exception. And injustice survives on these exceptions, the ones who don't follow the rules or the traditions that we have set up. Jacqueline Bussey shares a story and an example in her book, Love Without Limits, about this Justice, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. The Women's Discipleship Group just finished reading this together. So Jacqueline writes, My colleague, the pastor, Jim Monty, illustrated this truth in a recent sermon. One day when Jim was a kid, his mom gave him a bag of M&Ms and instructed him to share it with his two younger siblings. Jim distributed the M&Ms, but decided it was only fair for him to keep a few extra for himself since he was not only the biggest, but the one doing all the work. When Jim's mom found out what he had done, Jim tasted trouble like he'd never seen. His mother forced him to share equally this time with siblings and to hand back the excess M&Ms he had greedily hoarded for himself. Pastor Jim preached, what I experienced as the pure wrath of mama felt like pure love and justice to my brother and sister. A love without exceptions hurts, but only those accustomed to making exceptions. In theory, justice sounds awesome. Bring it on, we say. But in real life, to our surprise, justice, like grace, can hurt big time 
as can a love without limits. For a long, long time in this country, white people made black people the exception to love. Some white people still do, like the KKK, a bunch of white supremacist Christians who hate African Americans and believe God hates them too. Black Lives Matter is a movement that tries to assert in the midst of such brokenness that black people should no longer be made the exception to people's or God's love. But many white people responded to Black Lives Matter with rage. But all lives matter, they said. Black Lives Matter never said they didn't. Their point was that black lives mattered too. When Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, he declared, blessed are the poor, the meek, and the peacemakers. Imagine if counter-protesters had shown up with signs shouting, no, Jesus, all are blessed. That thought is absurd, yet that is the exact logic of all lives matter. Jesus never once said, blessed are the rich. He didn't have to because everyone already thought of and treated those folks as supersized blessed. But the same was not true for the poor and the meek. Everybody thought of them as nobodies. This is why Jesus had to shout it from a mountaintop. The poor and the meek are blessed too. To those and only those who have long benefited from a love with limits, a love without limits feels paradoxically like wrath or like a new and painful limit. To everyone else, it feels like the blessed day the M&Ms finally got handed out fairly. This is the fallout of love without limits. Many will sing Alleluia, but others will cry, oh crap. The same dynamic is working in this story today. The Pharisees have been making exceptions that leave them on top. And Jesus says, no more. We will build together traditions and religion that will open this up, that will give love without limits, that will be infectious, that will open the doors and have a ripple effect in a way that we never could have imagined. And Jesus says, I'll be the first one, but I need you to follow me too. Following Jesus is not about separating ourselves from those considered less holy or unclean. It means that like him, we get our hands dirty serving others, caring especially for those whom the world has cast aside. True faithfulness is not about clean hands, but a heart cleansed and a life shaped by the radical, self-giving love of God in Christ. The love that we all share together. So let us go and spread that love with infectious joy and grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.